2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to go verses 1 through 13. Verses 1 through 13. The Bible says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. Verse 3, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Look in verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse, deceiving and being deceived. Right? That is quite a list, isn't it? Right? We're going to navigate our way through this list uh, just a little bit today and to hopefully help us keep our eye on what are the signs of false teachers and false doctrine and also, to some extent, it's kind of a reflection and an examination today. It's an opportunity for you to look into your heart and make sure your heart is in the right direction in so many of these areas. So if you'll bear with us today, we'll make our way through a lot of these phrases and briefly think about the times that Paul is describing here to Timothy. I want to start with this first from Leslie Newbigin. I thought it was kind of a good way to, to introduce things this morning. He says, we are at a point in history comparable to the one occupied by Augustine. Augustine was an early church father. He said, the classical vision had lost its power over people's minds, and society was disintegrating. Alastair McIntyre, who invokes the memory of that moment to illuminate our situation, adds, however, that there is one great difference between Augustine's time and ours. Then the barbarians were waiting outside the gates, but now they are already in the seats of power. Whoa, right? <laughs> Has there been culture change in the last 50 years? Whoa, and here in our states. Now, again, we are talking about a lot of things that are local to us, not necessarily in the worldwide church, but there's been a lot of changes in our culture, some for the good and some definitely not for the good. And so the whole purpose of this book is that Paul, kind of like we saw in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, 
He wants Timothy to teach others so that they will teach others also. Pass it on, right? Who are you pouring your life into today? Think about that again, right? Some of you have kids. Some of you have grandkids. That's a great place to start. Some of you don't, and you have friends and neighbors and coworkers. We need somebody that we are learning from and somebody that we are pouring into. Timothy was learning from Paul. Paul was like, here's the things you need to know. But the point was, is that Paul wanted Timothy to be able to pass this along so it wouldn't stop with him. And it's kind of interesting that Paul is going to try to speak some truth to be an encouragement to Timothy. This sounds so negative, but what it's going to do, it's going to resonate with Timothy. And he's going to realize this is not an easy job. Have you ever realized and kind of felt that way, especially recently? <laughs> I'm trying to live for Christ in this time and in this place place, and it's not easy. And so Paul begins, and he starts off, and he says to Timothy there in verse 1 of chapter 3, mark this, know this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, what I think is kind of interesting here is Paul is not going to talk about famine. He's not going to talk about earthquakes. He's not going to talk about wars. What's he going to talk about? the attitudes and the behaviors of people, right? That is what he is describing as terrible, as perilous, as treacherous. The other thing I want you to see, and I hate to probably get to the end of the story way too quick, but Paul will see the time that he is living in as last days. Now, a lot of times you might hear people like, especially when something really bad happens, or doesn't go their way, oh, this must be the last days. Have you been around that, that kind of personality before, right? Something's going on in Israel, must be the last days. Oh, we had a really bad hurricane, must be the last days, right? Oh, the person I wanted to get elected into office didn't get elected, must be the last days, <laughs> right? We come up with a lot of reasons, but I think it's pretty interesting that Paul, as he's speaking to Timothy, is laying this out, and he already says, actually, these things are happening right now, right now in Paul and Timothy's context. And I want you to think about your context, and if you see any of these traits in our day or in our time and our location. The first thing he shares, and the thing that I think overarches everything else, is he says, people will be lovers of who? Themselves. They are going to choose themselves first. Do we see that anywhere in our culture today? Right? Actually, we're almost, at least I am, if I see someone that doesn't choose themselves, I almost like want to go give them a hug <laughs> or really brag on them. It's like, you just picked somebody else. That was wonderful. Because so many times today we see people choosing themselves, don't we, right? And to some extent, we're a little bit brought this upon ourselves because we've been teaching our kids for a long time that they need to choose themselves, and we need them to have a strong, independent spirit and one that's trusting in the Lord, but is capable and willing and able. But we don't want them to not have a servant's heart. Well, Paul tells Timothy, this is the attitude of this wicked generation he's speaking of. They choose themselves first. What's the next thing characteristic? They are lovers of money, money. We've had discussions with different people here at church, but it's always interesting to me how a lot of times you can find the motive behind things if you follow the money, right? Do we live in a day where people love money? 
And I want to be careful for you do like my grandma Malone would do and throw her pitchfork for the sermon to the person sitting over to the other side. <laughs> How many decisions do you make where money is really the primary objective in your decision? Right? Well, I would help this person, but I don't know if that's going to do with my savings. I'd make that trip, but have you seen the prices of gas lately? Well, I know I would love to have them come into my home, but I don't know how we would ever work that out. I would love to give to this opportunity, but I just don't see how that can happen, right? We have to follow the Lord in these things, and that's the whole point, is we need to seek the Lord first and then let him help us make the decision about how we can use the money. But what we see here is Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, the people you're going to be dealing with out there, they have money as a primary objective. And let me say this today. I probably should have said this at the beginning. The people that Paul is talking to Timothy about, they have made their way into the church. And so they are in the church and they are carrying these types of behaviors and attitudes. And Paul is trying to say, you need to take care of this. You need to be able to deal with this. You need to be able to identify it. All right. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money. What's the next one? boastful, right? Let me tell you about me. Have you been to travispen.com lately? I'm only selling three books. You guys, there is no travispen.com, by the way. But you know all about the age in which we live, right? Self-promotion. Let me tell you what I've done, how I can do for you. Again, that is a warning sign when you run into people who all they want to do is tell you about them. Be careful. Watch out for that. Not only are they boastful, but they are proud. And this one I've really been chewing on. The Lord has been working in my heart, I think, even this last weekend. Not just so much proud like look at me, but proud in the fact that they are unwilling to humble themselves. They're unwilling to admit they were wrong. Anybody here have that problem? Isaiah, are you ever wrong? See, he has that problem, right? He has that pin blood in him that says, I'm right. I'm going to show you I'm right. Or maybe that's field's blood. I'm not sure. Which one is it, right? There is that within us that wants us to be like, I'm going to prove to you. I know who I am. I know what I'm talking about. I, don't, I haven't done anything that, that should be that bad. And what the Lord calls us to do, and this so much came out in the messages at our men's meeting yesterday, the Lord wants us to humble him, ourselves before him, right? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, First Peter says, and he will lift you up in due time. And you know what it says right after that? Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you, right? These people here, no, I'm not going to humble myself. I don't have a problem. I don't need help. I got this. I can take care of it. That is their attitude, a complete denial that they need God and a complete dependence upon their own power. Again, stuff for us to check in our own heart, but also to make sure that we are careful about those that we are listening to and heeding and learning from both in our culture and especially in the church. Look at the next term. They are abusive. Could be verbally, could be physically, most likely could be emotionally or mentally. They are willing to hurt others to advance their own interests. If I tear you down, what's that do for me a lot of times? It might make me look better, right? Especially you might see this in a workplace environment, right? If I can kind of hint to my boss that, well, so-and-so, they got some problems, then maybe he'll trust me just a little bit more and won't go that direction, right? That can also happen in church settings. So again, 
Paul to Timothy, be on the lookout. Make sure that you are confronting people who are willing to hurt others to advance their own interests. Again, the idea that I can tear you down so I can build myself up. Not only that, they are disobedient to parents. There is a culture developing that would celebrate disobedience rather than honoring parents. I hope we're not there yet. I hope we're still part of a culture where we feel like we need to honor our moms and dads and our grandmas and grandpas, right? But we need to be careful. There can be such a youth mindset, a youth culture that can overtake and can disregard uh, the aged in life, right? We even have an ism for it nowadays. You guys heard of ageism, right? That's a discrimination against people who are older, okay? We need to be cautious about that. And even in our own church, uh, who has so much wisdom and experience? Who is it? It's the older folks that are here, right? And as a young person, sometimes we're like, oh, they're just grouchy. They won't ever let us eat what we want. They won't let us run in the church and have a good time. They just are, all they care about is the rules of keeping things clean. And we need to make sure that we are connecting our young people with our old people so they can both learn from one another. Older folks, do we need young people in our life? Desperately, right? We need their enthusiasm. We need their zeal. We need the, the life that they bring, but they need your experiences. They need to be able to learn some things from you so they don't hopefully have to learn them on their own. The next characteristic, they were un grateful. They are losing the idea of thank you, or a common term we use nowadays is entitlement, right? What's entitlement? You owe that to me. I'm on the planet. I should have a nice car and a nice phone. I should have a nice house. I shouldn't have to pay for those things. Look at me. I'm me, right? Do, do we have a little bit of that in our society today? Oliver, be quiet, <laughs> right? I mean, it is just so prevalent in so many places, isn't it, right? So we need to develop the opposite of that in our young people. And we also need to be careful because we live in a first world country. Sometimes we get a little carried away with our first world problems, not recognizing the goodness of God that he's bestowed upon us. Amen? We need to be a grateful people and let that be what we model and that be what we mentor I'm going to be a little careful here. You guys know I work at a school system, but we've been having a little discussion this last week, and we live in the suburbs of Hamilton County. Where there's just no money in Hamilton County, brother, right? And it's like they're talking about expanding the eighth gym or seventh gym to be bigger so it can house more things. We, we have a weight room facility, I think, and we can check all the information to make sure, but I think it was almost like $3 million for this weight room. It's amazing. It hasn't made our football team any better, but it is amazing. <laughs> but what is so crazy to me is like, sometimes we could get so concerned and wrapped up about those kind of things. When 20 minutes away, we know there are kids who don't have breakfast and they don't have lunch and they don't have supper. Like, why are we so concerned about this being amazing? But are, can we do something about this? And maybe we can do both. I don't know. But I think that's an opportunity for us to be careful because what happens when you live in that context all the time, you expect good things for you. Well, I must have, I've always had this. I must deserve it, right? Let's be careful about entitlement and especially let's be grateful and that, so that we can fight ungratefulness in our own hearts and the hearts of others. 
The next word, unholy. This is a hard one, especially nowadays. Unwilling to separate themselves from the things of the world, choosing the flesh over the spirit time and time again. Anybody here have a problem choosing the flesh over the spirit? Here's the number one right here, right? Yeah, man. It always just kills me when I read about the disciples and Jesus. Jesus is going through his very worst day. He's seeing the cross. He's sweating drops of blood. And the disciples, what are they doing? They're sleeping. <laughs> They're tired. They're worn out. Jesus says, the flesh, excuse me, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Unholy is when we decide that we're going to choose flesh instead of choosing the spirit. We need to encourage each other in that. We also need to be a look on that whenever we are become a people who are constantly choosing the things of the world over the things of Christ. The next one, without love, is kind of interesting. It's that idea of a without family love. It's very literal what that is. It's basically that they are not caring for their families, but they're abandoning their families so they can take care of themselves. If you remember some of the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they had a phrase that they would call it Corbin. So instead of taking their parents, uh, taking care of them, they would use that fund, give some to God and find a way to pocket some. And they would declare then that would make them holy because of the way they were giving it to God rather than taking care of their family. And here the point is very clear. We are to care for our family. But the problem here is that these people without love, they're without that family love. They are unforgiving, unwilling to forgive judging and demanding things from others that they will not do themselves. I was thinking about this the other day. I think that hypocrisy is one of the things that really is not tolerated inside the church or out, right? <laughs> Nobody likes hypocrites, right? And here is that example of unforgiveness. Um, cynicism, quote from uh, Mr. Stone says, cynicism has gone too far. We are becoming what the history books tell us late Rome was like mired in decadent self-absorption and lacking virtue. Learn from your history, right? The, the fall of Rome, a lot of the fall of Rome was actually tied to the view of the family unit, and we could be seeing some of the same things even in our day. They are slanderous. They're willing to speak maliciously about others. They desire to tear down and destroy. Do we have any problem with slander today? Spend 10 minutes on Twitter or less, right? There are, there's actually big business built around slander today. Again, the lovers of money piece, go back to that. There's whole businesses built around the appropriate way to slander people. People are professional slanderers. And we have to deal in that context. You guys, we need to look completely different than that. As you read this list, don't you think a Christian like should stand out like a sore thumb? I mean, really, right? The, the, the attitudes that we should have are all the opposite of the things that we're going through. It ought to be clear that we are different, but I'm challenging today to make sure that we are different. They are without self-control. Again, go back to that flesh versus spirit argument, right, earlier. They lack the discipline and they feed all their appetites without regard for the damage it may do to their fellow man or even to themselves. NIV, the next word it has there is brutal. What does it mean to be brutal? Brutally honest is the thing that comes to my mind, right? Basically, I will speak even if it hurts. These people enjoyed the hurt that they would push onto others. They were not lovers of 
the good. Good is not the driving motive in their life. And bear with me, but I think to some extent they loved wicked. They loved to feel wicked. They found pleasure in evil. William Bennett put it this way. He said, we have a real problem in this country when it comes to values. We become the kind of societies that civilized countries used to send missionaries to. Is that true? I mean, you got to weigh that out in your own mind and challenge that. But what we're again seeing here is this idea that this culture, and this is in Paul's day to Timothy, is like that, that culture is it's coming apart in certain places. And we really don't want that to be the case in the church. So we need to identify people that come in pretending to be one thing. And we find out that they are these things they need to be dealt with. The next term is they are treacherous. And the idea here is that they are dangerous to themselves and to others. They are rash. They proceed without considering the consequences. Do you ever do that? Let's just go for it. <laughs> See what happens. I haven't checked the check balance, but maybe it'll work out. Right? Do you live that way? I haven't checked the calendar, but surely that, that date will be free. Right? Let's take a shot. Let's have at it. And we do definitely live in that idea as well as all around us. They are conceited. In other words, they are full of themselves. And this next one really hits home with me as well. They are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What do you think? Do you love pleasure more than you love the Lord? Kind of depends which pleasure you're talking about, right? I mean, that can be challenging. G.K. Chesterton he said, you are free in our time to say that God does not exist. You are free to say that he exists and he is evil. You are free to say that he would like to exist if he could. You may talk of God as a metaphor or a mystification. You may water him down with gallons of long words or boil him to the rags of metaphysics. And it is not merely that nobody punishes, but that nobody protests. But if you speak of God as a fact, as a thing like a tiger, as a reason for changing one's conduct, then the modern world will stop you somehow if it can. We are long past talking about whether an unbeliever should be punished for being irreverent. It is now thought irreverent to be a believer. <laughs> Whoa, right? That's the transition that is happening. We're going from a culture in the late 1800s and early 1900s where if you weren't a believer, well, that's an irreverent person. And now we've come full circle. If you are a believer, you're the intolerant one. You're the irreverent one. You're the one that needs to be canceled and set on the outside of society. That's what the change that has happened in our culture. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. This one, I think we each need to investigate this morning. Maybe you could appear godly on the outside. You know how to use church words or church lingo. Maybe you even have church relationships, but there's no demonstration of our fancy word that we learned in Sunday school this morning, regeneration. There is no heart change. You guys, we can get dumped in the baptistry. We can memorize a prayer. We can memorize scriptures. You can copy what I do. But if there's no heart change, what good is it, right? We need to have a form of godliness that demonstrates the power of God, not our own power. Amen? We need what Ray is praying for his friend today. 
It's hopeless. It's lost. Nobody can do anything. God, we can't do it, but we want you to step in and show yourself mighty in that situation. And when God steps in, people will be like, there's the power of God. You guys, we have situations in our own church family right now that are desperate. And I can't fix it and you can't fix it. But guess who could step in and show great power? Guess who stepped in and showed great power in a little baby's life last week? <laughs> we need to declare and glorify the Lord when he shows his power among our church family. But there are too many churches that are trying to substitute the power of God with a fancy show and a laser light show and better music and better coffee and better whatever. And what we need is that. We need the power of Christ in our hearts. It was so amazing yesterday, but with all those guys, we didn't do anything fancy. It was so silly. Just a bunch of guys showed up at tables in this little country church, about a hundred guys had some donuts. We played Bible trivia of all things. <laughs> and then we went into church together and these preachers preached from their heart. They preached the word of God and people were moved and challenged and encouraged to go and make a difference in the lives of others. We didn't have a huge marketing plan. We didn't have some incredible facility, but we had the Lord with us and us to come together and us trying to be obedient to him. We need not a form of godliness. We need godliness where the power of God is at work in our lives. Paul says to Timothy, be careful of those people. And I'm telling you the same thing today. Be careful of people who are good at the lingo. They're good at the talk, but there's no real change. There's no real power. As a matter of fact, look what he says about it. What does he say about it? Have what? Have nothing to do with them. Now, preacher, I thought we were supposed to love everybody. <laughs> you know what the Lord said? This is really interesting, isn't it? Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, these are the wolves in the sheep's clothes. You need to have nothing to do with them. Get them out of your flock. Who wants to have that conversation? You guys know I'm not a big confrontation person, right? And yet the Lord is telling Timothy, if we're going to take care and protect the people we need to, we need to not have anything to do with the people with these characteristics, right? This is so strong. Now, here's the thing. Are you supposed to never, ever be with, again, we are sinners, but to be with sinners in the world? No, we're supposed to be with sinners all the time, right? Here's what I tell you to be careful of. Be careful of being with the pretenders. That's the problem. The people that have the form of godliness, but no power, the pretenders. Yeah, the people that really, we're going to see their motives here in just a second, what they were after. You need to have nothing to do with them. Pray, you can pray that God will change and challenge them, but you need to separate yourself from the pretenders. That's challenging to me this morning. Again, a reminder that Paul saw this attitude even in his day. He said, speaking of these people, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. What were these people after? What were these men after? They were after feeding their pleasures, right? Whether it could be money, whether it could be power, whether it could be women. And here they show themselves. They were, if you will, they were smooth talking in their leading of others to destruction. I didn't put this on the screen, but here's the thing that way I look at the scriptures. 
They were always learning. They were smart in the ways of the world, but they were dumb because they could never acknowledge the truth of the Lord. They wouldn't humble themselves. They knew emotional intelligence. They knew business operations. They knew how to schmooze and how to get what they wanted, but they wouldn't take this one bit of wisdom that they wouldn't humble themselves so the Lord could lift them up. And that was the challenge. Again, if you bear with me, to me, this is such a description of our day. We think we are smarter and smarter than our predecessors, and especially anyone who would lean on the crutch that is Jesus or the church. But as smart as we think we are, sometimes we are unable to acknowledge God. Look down again. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected, but they will not get very far. Because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So I'm going to wrap this up this morning here with this idea. You guys know who Janice and Jambres were? So you got Moses and you got Aaron, right? Moses gets taken out into the wilderness with the Lord. He gets a little practice run, right? Throw your rod down. What's the rod become? A snake. That part would be easy. Pick their snake up. <laughs> that part would be hard, right? It comes back into a rod. The Lord was working and developing Moses and Aaron. They go to see Pharaoh. They, what's one of the first things they do? They turn the water to blood, right? And Pharaoh, I'm sure, like immediately is like, man, who are these guys? This is incredible. I can't believe they did that. And guess who shows up next to Pharaoh? Janus and Jambres. Really good at their own deceivery and trickery and possibly, we don't know this for sure, but like a, a witchcraft type of thing. And they're like, oh, Pharaoh, we can do the same thing. We can take this picture. We can turn it to blood. See, anybody can do that. Don't be worried about these guys. And Pharaoh used their deceitfulness to allow his heart to be even more hardened. Right? That's the whole issue. The pretenders will cause you to let your heart be hardened. The whole point is we need our heart to be humble. The slickness of Janus and Jambres led Pharaoh even further from God. How many people today are being led away from Christ by the wisdom of the world? Isn't that it? Right? All of these philosophies, the world is saying, be smart emotionally, be smart in business, seek after yourself, make sure you have a good financial plan, make sure that you're all based upon the here and now. And the world leads us away from sometimes the very simple truth that if we will humble ourselves, the Lord will lift us up. They oppose the truth, but ultimately, you'll notice what Paul said to Timothy, they are rejected. Not initially, but ultimately, their folly will be clear. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. If you look at Janus and Jambres, the first couple of miracles, they did pretty good. They started getting to like the lice and the frogs and the boils. They couldn't mimic that. And when they got to the death angel, then the game was over, so to speak, right? It became clear that those guys had no clue what they were doing. They were of no comparison to the God of Moses and Aaron. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. And it may take some years, but some years down the road, people are going to understand that our God is the true God and the people of God had it right when they humbled themselves before him. And that is the point, right? I hope you hear me this morning. This sermon is not just about being a naysayer, and we can get that way sometimes, about pointing out everything that's wrong in the world or wrong with people. That's easy to do. But this sermon is about recognizing what is wrong and going the other direction. It's about making a change in your life 
so that you don't end up like this, like the people we described today. And it also about identifying pretenders in your life so you can be careful when you are around them and hopefully you can separate yourselves from their hypocrisy. Are you willing to stand against the immoral and maybe against the apathetic, even if it's in the church? Yesterday, as we were at that men's meeting, Brother Terry Hines, a good friend of mine, he preached on Nehemiah. And when he preached on Nehemiah, and I was thinking about this passage, they're like the complete opposite. And so here's some things I want to leave you with this morning as you think about being someone that'll be different than this stuff that we can work in this world to the glory of God. One of the things, the first things about Nehemiah is he wept over the sin of his people. He wasn't proud. He was humiliated and humbled. And he cried because of what his people had done. He had the heart of a servant. Okay, I'm not just going to tell people what to do. I'll be out there on the wall. I'll have the sword. I'll have the, I'll be laying the bricks. I'll be rebuilding the gates. He recognized his dependence upon God. He couldn't do this. He couldn't rebuild the wall without God. And the time frame they did it was unbelievable because God was at work in their lives. He was willing to fight for his family. You see in chapter four with Nehemiah, he says, after he says, let's look upon the great and awesome God, then let's go and fight for our families and for our community. And his heart was willing to do those important things. He was thankful for all that God did for him. And what I would challenge you today is we need people like that now more than ever before. Let's stand this morning. And I appreciate your patience and your time. I pray you let the Lord speak to your heart today. Um, hopefully a lot of those attributes, you're like, that's, that's really not me. That's not the person I am or I want to be. I get that. But there may have been a few attributes today that you looked in there and you're like, yeah, I need to work on that one. I, I've got some challenging things there that I need to do better. And I want you to humble yourself before the Lord and do that very thing. Say, God, here's where area where I've got some problems. Here's where my flesh is stronger than your spirit. Here's where I desire pleasure more than I desire you. Make me better here, Lord. You do that work in me. Again, be changed. Don't change yourself. Be changed <laughs> by the Lord, right? And then today, would you pray with your preacher and with our ministry board team that we would have, if for lack of a better term, the guts to call out pretenders when we have to and to say, this is not the church that we're going to be. This is not the kind of people that we're, we're going to love you. We're going to be here for you. But if you're not going to allow yourself to be humble before the Lord, then we're going to do that hard thing and we're going to separate. Right? That's tough, folks. That's really tough for me, but it's biblical and it's how we can care for the work of the church of the Lord. Right? Guys, thank you so much. Um, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer right now and then we'll have a few announcements.